It's official. One Shining Podcast is back, and I am your host, Tate Frazier. And as March Madness begins, we're covering everything from Selection Sunday all the way to the championship and beyond. We're going to have great guests that are coming through on the show. And look, if you're a friend of the program and you're already subscribed, you don't have to do anything. OSP is back. It's going to be right back in your feed. And if you're not a friend of the program and this is your first time on the rodeo, then let me tell you this. You need to go to Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts and smash subscribe today because the OSP show is back. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote versus the Swans. The second installment in Ryan Murphy's Feud anthology tells the story of acclaimed writer Truman Capote, once a confidant to society's most elite women, whom he nicknamed the Swans. Starring Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Calista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, and Tom Hollander. For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com FYC. This episode is brought to you by Hulu. Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone star in Hulu's limited series Under the Bridge, a chilling true crime story based on the acclaimed novel. Hailed as a riveting and heartbreakingly realistic work by the Chicago Sun-Times and featuring excellent performances, according to Time magazine, the series is for your Emmy consideration in all categories, including outstanding limited series and outstanding supporting actress in a limited series for Keough and Gladstone. For more information, visit fyc.hulu.com. It is Monday, March 6th. One of the side effects of the peak TV era of the past decade has been this feeling of being overwhelmed by the amount of stuff to watch. I know I feel it. The list of great shows that I just don't get around to watching is long and distinguished. I know creators feel it too. With 600 shows on TV and streaming in 2022, it's hard not to. It used to be just getting a show on the air would guarantee at least a certain level of notoriety and audience, some press attention, a discourse. Now shows come and go quietly, sometimes anonymously, if they don't break through or catch the algorithm or get rave reviews. It's also fractured and frankly cluttered. But this could be changing. It's no secret that most of the entertainment companies, which have been battered by the stock market, have vowed to make less content, fewer shows, more impactful spending. Sounds like the Jerry Maguire mission statement, but it's the new mantra in Hollywood. More is not better, better is better, the former head of HBO used to say. But the impact of this strategy on the business of television, and especially streaming, hasn't yet been determined. In the streaming wars, more has always been considered better. It translates to higher engagement, more new customers, less churn. It's a Netflix model that everyone copied until they started losing hundreds of millions of dollars every quarter without the stock market to prop them up. But growth has slowed at those streaming services. And this past week, we got some new data via Bloomberg. Ratings for the most popular streaming originals dropped about 8% from a year ago through the first six weeks of the year. At the beginning of February, viewership of the top 10 originals dropped to the lowest point since December 2021. That doesn't mean there aren't new hits. I mean, obviously, HBO's Last of Us, Poker Face on Peacock, 1923 on Paramount Plus, those are hits. Netflix has Ginny and Georgia, Outer Banks, those are doing big numbers right now. But viewership of Netflix's most popular movies and TV shows globally is also down about 8% so far this year. Netflix is still pumping out shows at a fast clip, but the other services seem to believe that if you space them out, you can still thrive. So today we're going to talk about that with Lucas Shaw, our Monday morning guy. The end of peak TV, the impact on both the streaming business and the shows we watch. 
From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Lucas Shaw from Bloomberg. All right, Lucas, I'm going to spring a quiz on you to start today's show. Uh, you, I'm going to tell you a show. Surprise pop quiz. I always surprise, like these. Surprise pop quiz. You're back in sixth grade. Uh, I'm going to say the name of a show that may or may not be an Amazon Prime Video original. You're going to tell me if it's real or fake. I'm going to fail this one, but let's go. Let's do it. Number one, The Consultant. Real. That is real. Christoph Waltz. Mr. Walters. Fake. That is fake. Rock Solid Family. Ah, uh, shit. Uh, I'm going to go fake. That is fake. The Company You Keep. Real. That is real. Milo Ventimiglia. Three Pines. Fake. That is real. It's a French ah, show. Ah, <laughs> Whale's Tail. Fake. That is fake. As we see it. Aye, aye, aye. I'm going to go real. That is real. Jason Kadams. Actually, you did pretty well. You got all but one. <laughs> I knew the, the the first four, I was absolutely positive. Then we got a little dicey. All right. The, but but you, you are a professional. I'm getting, I'm guessing that many listeners had no idea what any of those shows were. And that's sort of my point, is that we are at the stage of peak, peak TV, 600 shows this past year. Uh, the head of FX, John Landgraf, who famously does his predictions every year, has said, this time it's real. It's coming down. We are no longer going to have that volume of show. And the economics here say that he's right. Every company is reducing their output or claiming they're going to reduce their output, except for Netflix. And a lot of their growth is international. Uh, I wonder if we are starting to see the post-peak TV era play out before our eyes. And, and you had some interesting stats this past weekend in your newsletter about some of the viewership numbers of the streaming services and how they are down. So do you think we have turned this corner on peak TV? I think it's premature to say it, just in that, you know, if, if media companies right now say we're going to start slowing down and, and, you know, cutting back in some ways, and I have my issue, I don't think, first of all, it's not cutting back, it's sort of leveling, it's ending the growth. Um, but also, if they're starting to to be a little more rational about spending, you see that in like 12 to 24 months, because it's not like if they True. slow spending yeah, yeah, now. Yeah. But they've been saying it for a while now. They've been saying yeah, it for almost a year. They've been, depending on the company, they've been saying it for six to 12 months. Yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, look, I, I was initially interested because I just felt it as a viewer. You know, I, I got so You said it on this show. Yeah, I got said so there's nothing to watch that to feeling like I'm way behind. Then I was like, wait, I'm watching The Last of Us. I'm watching Poker Face. I feel like I'm up to date. That's all I got. That's all I got to watch. And obviously there's a ton more to see. Um, but it just feels like there's not as many big attention grabbing shows. And the data so far, at least earlier this year, backs it up. Uh, and and this is what I I wrote about in that the top you look at the top ten shows on Nielsen and also the top ten list for Netflix and compared to a year ago the viewership is down. Now the counter to this is that overall streaming viewership is still way up relative to a year ago. But what that but is, could be, is, yeah, isn't is that just it could be li- it could be library, it could be right. yeah, it there's there's a lot of other things that people could be watching. It could be that there's so many more movies available or kind of newer movies. I, I you know, I, 
if if these places were more transparent, we could see it. But it certainly feels as though this moment right now is a little taste of where we're going, where there's going to be a, a few fewer shows for us to stay on top of, especially as these companies cut back in a big way on broadcast and cable shows. Yeah, because you say they're not explicitly saying fewer shows. I think they are. I think at many of these companies, they are explicitly saying that era of just make it to make it is not happening anymore. We have to be smarter about our content spin and maybe make, you know, two Marvel shows a year instead of four. Or maybe HBO doesn't need to do all those Max Originals shows that they did just to juice the growth while the spending was so out of control that it really reduced the bottom line. I mean, we just saw today the Warner Brothers Discovery executives just change their compensation metrics to reward them for free cash flow rather than the stock price. And that is an explicit statement that we are rewarding ourselves for being judicious in our spending. And that necessarily translates to less content, right? Yeah. Oh, well, David Zaslav loves free cash flow. A lot of people love. Um, <laughs> he also loves big bonuses, which is why you change, you know, when the stock market's not going crazy, you change your metric to deliver bonuses on free cash flow, which you can control. Yeah. Uh, no, I think you're, you'll, you'll see reduced output at certain places, right? Like your point with Marvel, I definitely have heard and just get the sense that Disney is going to make fewer projects. Now, it's tricky with them because they weren't making a crazy volume to begin with, but it it means that they they'll be a little more judicious. You know, with HBO Max, they because of the merger of Warner Brothers and Discovery, you know, a lot of those HBO Max reality shows just don't exist anymore because they'll be Discovery shows. Mm-hmm. And then I think a lot of the originals they'll take a slightly different approach, you know, they maybe won't make like a bunch of random dramas and comedies. Um, so I think And we know that's board- happening. Well, we know that's happening at Paramount Global as well because Showtime is being dramatically downsized. So all of those Showtime shows that would come out, you know, one a quarter or a couple of every quarter, those are going away in favor of like billions and trillions and gazillions. And the spinoffs that they're going to do there, they have said necessarily that is going to be fewer shows coming from that outlet. So there's there's a lot of different things. I mean, Peacock, is Peacock ramping up? Are they ramping down? Do we know? It feels like they're uh they're ramping up original output, but they are they were never gonna be the company that was producing at the level of some of these others. Like their sure. whole thing but but they had a kind of a, a delayed start and they're starting to feel good about what they're doing. And so I don't think you'll see them cut down. The one that probably will continue to ramp up is Apple. Yeah, they seem to be doing more. And Amazon really hasn't showed any sign of, of lessening the output. Yeah, I mean, I think you'll see that the the kind of quote-unquote tech players, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, continue to charge ahead. Netflix is already at such a huge level. Apple and Amazon will, will add to it. It's the traditional players that feel extra pressure that will be a little more cautious. Um, but there's real, I mean, there's real risk in this. Because if your whole thing is you, it, you, you want sure you can say we're prioritizing free cash flow, but you're only going to boost revenue and profit if you sign up more customers. And how do you sign up more customers? You give them shows they want to watch. Well, that's been the theory for the past decade: is that more is better. And every time you launch a new show, you have you take a swing and you have a chance of bringing in new audiences. And I think that is being questioned a little bit. Like, do we need to take so many swings to bring in these audiences, or if we are better tailored in what we're doing, 
do we satisfy those audiences and bring in more with every swing that we do take? I, I don't know the answer to that. And I think these companies are trying to figure that out. But there is a sense that I feel that if they are better about what they are making, then they're going to have a better chance of luring customers and keeping them um, than they did if they just opened the fire hose and started spraying everything everywhere all at once and hope the customers <laughs> come in. Was that, that was a, an everything everywhere all at once nod because you're <laughs> yes. excited about the Oscars. What <laughs> I one thing I think about how many hours how many how many hours a day of original programming do most TV networks do? You mean I mean, the traditional networks? Well, broadcast networks, that's 24 hours a day. Or if not 24, it's it's a lot, right? No, you know, yeah, they, well, they, they're got, off the air or whatever, but reruns not, and stuff. They, but they've got morning news. They've got daytime. They've got yeah. soap. They've got game shows. They've got nighttime. And I think that's also part of what is being missed here is everyone just went in like really heavy on the, you know, the, prime, the equivalent of like primetime dramas and comedies. And you look and... TV networks have offered sort of a, an array of programming. And that's a little bit of what I think you see a company like, like Netflix doing is it's probably sort of peaked out on the dramas and comedies, at least from a U.S. perspective. It's still growing over internationally, but it's invested a lot in, orig in, in unscripted programming. It's invested a lot in documentaries. There's the movie part of it. And so the other, the other part of the programming that these streaming services have to think about is the balance. You know, they might not need a new scripted drama every week. They, they certainly don't, especially if they're rolling them out on a weekly basis. You can have two or three kind of going at one time, but you will probably want to fill in some of that other stuff. So if you're HBO Max or Max as it's about to be, you can have The Last of Us right now. You're you ready to declare that? You're gonna. You're ready to declare it'll be called Max? Uh, I, I, that's every indication I've got. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, but you're going to need the Discovery reality shows. You're going to want to have a good documentary every couple of weeks. You're going to need those new Warner Brothers movies flowing through every couple mm -hmm. of weeks. Because if, if if you are just relying on one or two shows, that is not going to be enough, let me tell you. Because not only are you going to, if, if you miss with that, are people going to think about canceling, but these companies are all moving into the advertising business. And what generates advertising revenue? People sticking around and watching. And yeah. I think that would sort of be the Netflix counter to all of this is we want to have people on the service every single night. Yeah, and Disney is kind of screwed there because they have really dined out on the fact that people consider Disney Plus a utility. Like, you've got to have it for that moment when your kid is freaking out and needs to watch Moana. But that's not a volume business. That's a got to have it because they have assets that feel necessary. They need to ramp up the, you know, the, the, the I the kind of time killer shows that deliver eyeballs over and over again and keep you coming back. And that's a much different business. Um, so I, I asked an agent I know about, you know, I said, how far are we going to drop? If the broadcast networks are making fewer scripted dramas than they ever have, if the cable networks are basically not making scripted dramas, except for the legacy stuff like walking dead spinoffs, and the streaming services, some are keeping it steady, but many are are backing away. Where are we going to drop to on peak TV? From 600 shows to what? 300? 200? And this agency said, this agency guy said, it's hard to tell. You know, we came from a world that was once 150 shows and it's ramped up to this. But the difference here is that when it was 150, it was 22 episode shows. 
the volume of shows was pretty high when you now consider that we have these series that are going six, eight, ten episodes a season. So it's really difficult to make that determination on volume when even with the number of shows declining, the overall ecosystem, it, it, we don't know where that's going to end up. Okay, well, but if it was 150 shows with 22 episodes a season, and now mm -hmm. we have a third of the number of episodes a season, let's just triple that 150, say 450. Yeah, that's that. sure, there, that could be it. And maybe that's because we... there's no way we're going but down to 200 to 300 shows. No, Netflix, I know. I don't think so. Netflix alone is probably like 150. So right. I mean, maybe not that much, but it's a lot. Um, since we're limit that that number, by the way, for 600, that's only scripted and that's only U.S. That doesn't include all the reality shows. It doesn't include news and sports, and it doesn't include shows in another language. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this agent said the previous setup was far more lucrative for Hollywood and easier for everyone. Um, the problem here is that there will be fewer jobs for hacks. <laughs> the quality will be better, but there will be fewer jobs for hacks. And what he's saying essentially is that the 22 episode network show is going away in favor of these creator driven shows that are better for the audience, I guess, but the impact on the business is going to be pretty significant. Yeah, well, that's obviously a huge part of of why we're maybe having a writer's strike in two months. Well, let's talk about that because this writer's strike could be a significant pullback. It could be this the situation where all of a sudden the output goes from uh, you know churning out dozens of shows every quarter to nothing for a quarter. Um, do you think that that? I mean, well, no, yes, but remember that a lot. Again, that won't be felt right away because every most of the major, at least on the streaming side, have stockpiled. So That's it's true. not if if there's a writer strike that lasts from May to July, there will likely be limited decline in output, unless or except for the fact that some of these services will choose to probably space some stuff out a little bit more to make up for what they'll miss in a year. But the audience will feel that if they do. I mean, it'll be a further retrenchment in this volume of show that is being spewed at you. Well, do you, I'm just curious, because obviously I, I I sort of felt it and I got some data to support it, but mm -hmm. who the hell really knows if I know what I'm talking about. Do you feel like you, like there, there's a lot to, to watch and stay on top of right now? I mean, I, I... I am always so hesitant to use my own personal experience. Yeah, no, no. I, this, let's preface it by saying, <laughs> let's preface this by saying that this does not apply to everyone. Because what I'm interested in watching is different mm. from what a lot of other people are interested in watching. Ginny and Georgia, huge show on Netflix. Not for me. Exactly. My wife's watching it. It's definitely not for me. Uh, but I don't know. Like, I still haven't finished all these shows that I want to watch. Poker Face is just sitting there. I still haven't gotten all the way through Fleischman is in Trouble. You know, Sunday nights, I watch uh, Last of Us. And Everybody is night. drowning, you guys. Everybody yeah, is drowning exactly. with the TV shows they Thank need to watch. Thank you. Thank you. I still feel it. Maybe less so. I don't know. Craig, you, I mean, do you feel overwhelmed still? Completely overwhelmed. There's way too many shows. Every friend I have recommends a different show. Oh, you're not watching The Mandalorian? You got to watch The Mandalorian. I know. Mandalorian just started, and I, I, I'm behind on that. I'm excited for less TV shows. I think a lowering tide will raise all boats, because most of these shows are good. Just nobody has any time to watch them. I have a long list on my notes app of like 50 shows I never got to. Exactly. That's depressing. <laughs> FYI, just for listeners, Craig is officially pro writer strike, apparently. He wants a break. 
in the volume of shows so he could catch up. Please address your emails directly to him. I want the writers to get better pay and all that stuff, but I'm also okay with less content for a little while. Yes, exactly. Uh, I don't know. I mean, the numbers are the numbers, though, Lucas. You you showed that the viewership is down right now, and that could just be that we have a dearth of hits. Viewership at the top. The total yeah. viewership, Nielsen says, is the same. But the viewership at the top is definitely down. And some of that may be cyclical. Show people like load up in November and December before the end of the year. And they load up in March and April to get ahead of the, the Emmy voting. And January and February is always a little light. But compared to last year, you know, this time last year, there was new, especially with Netflix, they had Cobra Kai and Ozark, both of which are pretty big shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, Amazon had had a big show. Disney had a big show. There just there just hasn't been that so far this year. But I guess, you know, everyone I, I'm with you, Craig, a lot, whenever other people tell I have friends who will say, you know, there's just nothing to watch. And I'm like, really? Because there's probably three new shows that you haven't seen on almost every streaming service. Yeah, that's ridiculous that when people say that, that just means they're not trying hard enough. Um, you know, I think Outer Banks is is another big one for Netflix. I think the, when those numbers come in for uh, for this past month, we're going to see Outer Banks season three. For some reason, a friend of mine who has teenage daughters was telling me that like it has become the obsession. Oh no, it's the friends. biggest. It's it's the biggest hit Netflix has had this year. It's it's the it's been out. I think that Netflix data is out for one week and it's huge. And someone someone told me that the viewership for this season is is up a lot from the last one. It's it's a smash. This episode is brought to you by Hulu. Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone star in Hulu's limited series Under the Bridge, a chilling true crime story based on the acclaimed novel. Hailed as a riveting and heartbreakingly realistic work by the Chicago Sun-Times and featuring excellent performances, according to Time Magazine, The series is for your Emmy consideration in all categories, including Outstanding Limited Series and Outstanding Supporting Actress in a Limited Series for Keough and Gladstone. For more information, visit fyc.hulu.com. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. I'm very curious about HBO because I feel like that they have they altered their model over the past few years. It was always that they had a couple shows every quarter that kept you interested and kept you going. And, you know, were they they had a, a very high hit rate. And we saw them ramp up with HBO Max over the past few years to do more. And yeah, the shows were good. They had a very high hit rate regardless, but it was less than it was before. And they did reality. And I think now that they're going back a little bit to what they previously did i wonder if the the um we're gonna it's gonna start to feel a little bit more like the old hbo no no there's gonna be all the discovery stuff oh yeah well okay (laughs) but that's when they merge it all but i'm not interested. but that's happening in two months but discovery doesn't do scripted discovery doesn't do any scripted it's all you know very cheap reality yeah, I don't know how much. Uh, I'll be curious to see how much of the the kind of the max scripted they they scale back on because th- for I'm sure there's some things that haven't worked, but something like Sex Lives of College Girls is a big hit for them. Yeah, or Hacks. Hacks is a max show. 
flight flight attendant was a Mac show. That's a big hit for them. Yeah, I can't tell the difference. I honestly can't tell the difference between Max and regular. Well, though, it's notable that all three of those shows have female protagonists. I think that's one of the big differences. Is there was a point in time where HBO had gotten in a rhythm of mostly it felt more for men. Right. Um, you know, I mean, I guess that's been true historically, dating back to oh, yeah. one of the one of the reasons that they, you know, there was there were sex shows on there and the, a lot of the comedy. You know, any network that programs entourage is probably a little male skewing. Well, that's the the famous Venn diagram that Warner Discovery presented on their earnings call that got a little bit of negative attention. They had a Venn diagram of like the audience for Discovery Plus and the audience for HBO Max. And on the left, HBO Max was like male and upscale. And on the right was Discovery, which was female and not upscale. And it's like it goes together perfectly. And it was a little bit of kind of gender stereotyping. But I think that those demos are complementary. And we will see when they launch the super service, whether it, it floats all boats. I'm curious about Disney, to your point, just because I don't feel like they were, even though they were spending a lot of money, it didn't mm-hmm. feel like there was like that much to watch. Maybe, maybe it, it's you more You do not the, have children. You do not have children. There, There yeah, is fair. There is a steady stream of kids stuff. Uh, it's the other stuff that uh, they have kind of struggled in. And we'll see if they continue to invest there because- According to Bob Iger, they may not even try to invest there in the future. Well, Hulu's been on a roll, so I don't want it to. I don't want I them to cut back there too much. We didn't. We didn't actually talk about Hulu, and we should have because that's where we could also see some reductions because they've spent a lot of money and done a lot of great shows for Hulu. And Disney is talking about potentially getting out of the adult-oriented entertainment business, or at least reducing it significantly. I don't know if that'll happen, but the number of shows on Hulu is probably going to decline. Okay, so we we are in agreement that that TV has peaked or peak TV has peaked. I think so. Yes. And what are what what are we calling this 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 new age? If there there was the golden age of TV, then there was peak TV. I don't know, correction, the great correction, correction TV. I know you're 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 Mr. Netflix correction. I'll I'll yes. try to th- I'll try to think of something. I should have u- used it in the newsletter yesterday. I don't know the, the the other side of the peak. What is that? Uh, the come down, the hiatus. I don't know. <laughs> the hiatus. All right, that is. Yeah, well, maybe listeners have ideas. You can tweet at us for what this next age of TV is going to be—the retrenchment or the come down or whatever. Um, Lucas, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Matt. All right, we are back with the call sheet. Craig, are you following the corporate dramas of Paramount Global, my favorite media company? I am. They're turning down $3 billion left and right. And now we just learned uh, <laughs> there's no shot of of the title Paramount Plus with Showtime with BET. No. I want to see how long they could get it. I know. I wrote this past weekend in my Puck newsletter about this offer that they had to sell Showtime. Paramount Global owns a bunch of cable networks like MTV, Nickelodeon, VH1, and BET and Showtime. Um, and they announced that they are folding Showtime into Paramount Plus, and it's going to be called Paramount Plus with Showtime. Uh, That's mostly to keep the cable carriers happy in linear TV while kind of eviscerating the network and bringing it under the Paramount Plus banner to save money. Um, But we found out this past week that they had a $3 billion offer from a former executive, David Nevins, to buy the company. He had a private equity backer for $3 billion, and they turned that down. 
which I find very surprising considering that this is a declining asset that they've already basically decided is going to be folded into the larger Paramount Plus brand. And they don't really value it that much. And this was a, a real offer uh, that would have given them a bunch of cash about uh, – the entire Paramount Global company is only worth about $15 billion. Well, unless they see that this is their only shot at creating their own Yellowstone universe with those tentpole shows like Billions and Dexter, right? Yeah, they want to create a, a Yellowstone based on Billions and based and on And if they Dexter, get rid of Showtime, they don't really have anything they could do that with. No, but you know what? Good luck creating the next Yellowstone out of Billions. Maybe they'll do it. You know, Dexter is what? I mean, these are old aging shows. It's not like the Yellowstone situation. But today we saw news that they are interested in selling BET. And it's a little bit different situation than Showtime because Tyler Perry has this ownership stake in BET and they have to, you know, they would have to buy him out or do something to get rid of him in order to bring BET under the Paramount Plus fold. So they just said they're going to sell it. And then we saw news 20 minutes after that announcement that, yeah, Tyler Perry is interested in buying the rest of BET or at least the majority stake. Um, my prediction is that BET will be sold. I do think this Tyler Perry deal will happen. He has enough money to do it. He has always said that he wants to grow, grow, grow. And it makes sense. I don't think anyone is going to outbid Tyler Perry for BET. Is this just BET the channel or is it BET Media Group, which includes VH1? Um, I believe VH1 would come with it. I mean, obviously they could do whatever deal they want to. Maybe he doesn't want VH1. But Paramount put VH1 under the BET group um, recently, and it probably would come with it. It also includes BET Plus, the streaming service. We don't know how many people actually subscribe to BET Plus because they fold it in with the Showtime numbers, which mm -hmm. total was, I believe, about 24 million subscribers. Is 21. that right? 21 million subscribers. So, you know, Tyler Perry will look under the hood, see what the numbers are there, see if it makes sense. Um, but all of this was very strategically planned. I think this deal's happening. Do you think that BET will now live as a standalone, BET Plus will live as a standalone service, or do you think it'll get acquired or merged into another streaming service? Maybe. I mean, they they want to have a relationship with Paramount Plus, perhaps, where it just the ownership changes, but they do a, a deal where you know Paramount Plus subscribers can get BET Plus for a fee or as an upcharge or you know as part of the offering. Um, we'll see how they do that. You know, there's this whole thinking right now that these that as these global streamers you know get bigger and bigger, that there will be opportunities for some of these smaller streamers to kind of either become an arms dealer, sell shows everywhere or, and perhaps have their own niche product or maybe even glom on to these bigger services where it could be Netflix with BET plus or something's other. I mean, that has not, Netflix has not said they want to do that, but perhaps there's opportunities in the future. Uh, we'll see. Don't know quite how that's going to play out. Um, all right. That's the show for today. I want to thank my guest, Lucas Shaw. I want to thank producer Craig Horbeck. And I want to thank you. We'll see you on Wednesday. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.